Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And today we're going to return to the playa at the 2014 Burning Man Festival and sit in on the Palenque Norte lecture that was given by the musician and philosopher Dr. Marina Korsakova. Marina received her musical education in Russia, where she began teaching piano at the age of 16 while still a student at music college. Then she uh, also trained as a concert pianist in uh, Russia and, upon graduation, became a staff pianist at a conservatory there. After emigrating to the U.S., Marina studied cognition and neuroscience at the School of Behavior and Brain Sciences at the University of Texas at Dallas, where she earned a Ph.D. in music perception. Now, here in the salon, we're graced with many musicians, but even those of us who aren't musicians, I think, will find Marina's talk fascinating, as she discusses something that I have to admit I never thought about before. And my guess is that you're also going to find these concepts worth a little contemplation. So now let's join Marina in the big tent at Camp Soft Landing as she considers the magical ways in which music supports human life on this planet. And I was trained as a cognitive scientist um, in the United States. So uh, my interest in music started the most natural way as a love for music. Then I became interested in philosophy and I ended up doing empirical studies, so I'm an applied philosopher. Uh, people talk about the psychedelic experience. I, I noticed, so I, I'm not going to be an exception. And, uh, it's my first burn. Last year was my, I mean, second burn. Last year it was my first burn, and I also tried first time in my life magic mushroom. I had no idea it's the name, magic mushroom. I gave it to myself, but it happened to be. And I had a very, um, very rich experience. I'm very thankful for that. And it, it, it was very interesting. Uh, but I'm only going to mention what happened at the day. And um, when I received a very interesting knowledge, I realized that all our planet is just a living seed, which has already accumulated a lot of information about life. Actually, the whole evolution, it's a process of accumulation information and creating the better and better mechanisms of accumulating and transfer of information. And at that moment, I started thinking how we are going to save this information apart from living being. For example, this planet wants to deliver this knowledge to some other places in this vast universe. And I had these images of some bionic mechanisms and I thought, yes, we can code a lot of technical information, but how we can uh, inform about ourselves, who we are, about our characters, about our mood, about our happiness and sadness. And then I realized that we already have this device. It's music. This is the most efficient and most primitive device to code very complex information our humanness. There is nothing more primitive as encoding device and now more sophisticated as coding who we are. 
our life, our thinking. Um, I, I, I will touch a little bit on um, ways our brain operates, on what levels, and how much our emotional, um, its emotional life, our lives. But I want now to concentrate on the way music encode in transparent information. Um, so I'm very, it's very easy for me to say that magic is music, despite the fact that I was studying science of music. And I I'm, I'm have very materialistic background. I'm applied philosopher, and I do believe that we can learn a lot. And I'm saying it's magic because it's so complex that perhaps you would never know the complexity, so it's magic for us. We will never know, we will never reach final frontier because it's so complex. Music is really a very strange way of communication. There is no familiar images. We recognize nothing. We cannot touch anything. There is no certainty like we have in linguistic language. We can name things with language. In music, there is nothing. There is nothing to translate to other languages. We just listen to music and somehow we become affected by that. We sense something, not just feelings. It's not just emotional state. Music has the incredible ability to deliver what uh, Vladimir Nabokov called the contour of thought. We sense ideas, so they're very complex things. But despite this complexity, basically everybody, with very few exceptions, is able to understand music. Uh, some of the philosophers of music, uh, they, those who write very difficult books for reading, they think that in order to really understand music, people have to study, to be trained. Let me tell you, as a practitioner, as a pianist and a scientist, we all are born experts in music. We all understand music. And this is what my own studies show. That people with zero musical training know everything about the space of music. Moreover, they react to music as pro when you look into this data. Uh, why? Why music is available with people of high intellect, but also to people with great cognitive problems like people with Alzheimer and there's even case study of kids born with uh, congenital anencephaly, they don't have cortex and they still are able to recognize melodies so something in music happens on a very low level of perception incredibly low level um, so in order to understand music perhaps we need to look what it's made of the notes made of sound. It's basically sound in time. And there are two main dimensions in music. It's sound, or we call it tonal space, because there are tones, not just uh, some random sounds, but it's very interesting organization of sounds. And time. And I'm mostly going to talk about tonal space. So we are part of nature. And we should look how nature makes music inside us. Let's, first, we need to look into the physics of sound. So those for you who already know the physics, so I, 
um, forgive me, I'm going to talk about that. But those for you who don't know, um, it's really interesting that any natural sound that we feel as a particle, it's actually a hidden chord. And when we listen to a melody, and when we notate a melody, we notate it by particles, by notes. And then when we sing for uh, any song, we sing it by notes, like particles. But in true, any sound, naturally produced sound, has the hidden dimension. And this hidden dimension, overtones, this is what makes music, actually. This is what music relies on. So generally, people cannot hear this hidden dimension. You hear a sound, okay, it's just a sound. But it seems that our brain pretty well recognizes this dimension. And it's very <laughs> easy to understand why. Uh, when we listen to music, sometimes it sounds dissonant something which is not agreeable, and sometimes it sounds very harmonious, consonant. So music is made of dissonant and consonant sounds. Uh, and it seems that they are consonant for us because it's easier for our brain to process. I call it the law of laziness. It's not about the musical composition. It's only about the element of music. So here the hidden dimension of overtones comes to four. So if you look, for example, if you listen to two people singing together, let's say you listen to grandpa and the grandchild singing together. So one, same song. So one song with low voice and child would sing with a teeny voice. So they would sing it most likely in octave. Or if you have a group of people and they joined the company, they had a good, good time, they started singing like uh, women and men. Again, they most likely they sing in octave. And octave is recognized around, around the group, globe as the same sound. So now let's look into the harmonic series of any sound. So when, for example, we activate the string, the string looks fuzzy because it vibrates. And with it, it, it vibrates, it means it divides on two, three, four, five, six. It happens immediately. And with each division, it produces a tiny, tiny subsound, overtone or harmonic. So you touch a string, it looks fuzzy, and at that moment, it produces this, um, this tail of overtones. The very first overtone in this series, it's octave. So this interval, which is the same interval for everybody, same note around the globe. So it seems it's really easy for brain to process. The next overtone gives us the interval of fifth or quinta. Next one gives interval of fourth or quarta. And those three intervals, octave, fifth, and fourth, they are called Pythagorean intervals. And they are known from antiquity as consonant interval. They're easiest to process. So what happens when you have two sounds that sound that we perceive as an octave or fifth? It means that the beginning of their tails overlap. They share a lot of spectral information. There is redundancy of information. It's easier for our brain to process. It requires less neuronal energy. So we have now in music levels of neuronal 
of cost of uh, energy. So basically, when you listen to music, you listen to distribution of energy levels for our brain. What is easy to process, it sounds consonant and agreeable. What is more difficult to listen, dissonances, more energy. It's a gradient of neuronal cost of processing. This is why music is so easy to understand, because it's built from elements which is very subconscious. We don't need to think about it. It's, it's all precognitive. And, uh, and this is why uh, Gottfried von Leibniz called music uh, unconscious calculation by the mind who doesn't know that it's calculating. So when we listen to music, we don't need to concentrate. It all happens spontaneously. So when we listen our, our favorite compositions, we listen to artful configuration of energy levels structured along time, arranged along the arrow of time. This is why it's so easy to process. What is also incredibly interesting in music, and this is why I think music is the window to cognition, is how musical sounds are organized between themselves. For us to extract any information from the world, we need to have system of reference. For example, in our three-dimensional world, we subconsciously perceive it in the Cartesian coordinates. We don't think about that. We just know it. There is uh, three coordinates and also gravitational field. And our brain doesn't need to think about it. It happens on purely intuitive level. Could you imagine that musical matter organized like gravitational field? If you play a scale musical scale, let's say C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C if you play it or imagine that you sing happy birthday to you so you sing it almost till the end and then you sing to you to, imagine you stopped on two it would, stand, it would sound very unstable happy birthday to it wants to go on you so the two has potential energy and you has zero potential energy. So we perceive it as tense and then we perceive it as relaxed. So on one side we have neuronal cost of processing, but on a level of perception, immediate perception, we have tension or instability and release stability. Is it clear? Okay. So when we listen to music, it's stability, instability. It's, it's phenomenal gravitational field. It's the simplest way to, to encode information. Another interesting thing about music that <clears throat> it's uh, cyclical. We have just seven tones. It's tremendous parsimony. 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 Uh, nothing else has such a small number of basic elements. We have seven diatonic tones and five chromatic tones, so just 12 tones. And out of those 12 tones, we build all the incredible uh, richness of music. Why I believe that music 
can help us to understand cognition, human cognition. Um, my very first study was in perception of melodies. And as a performer, I was always fascinated by abilities uh, of, perfor uh, of performers to think about musical compositions beyond time. If it's a, something very complex like sonata form or fugue, at some point you feel it as a structure. And uh, uh, it seems it's quite, it's quite routine because we know that um, Mozart, once he thought that he felt all symphony as an apple on his palm. So there is something about music very interesting that you think about temporal structures as almost material structures. And we also have very interesting things in music, uh, almost like spatial. For example, a melody can be bent, it can be mirrored, it can be enlarged, it can be diminished, almost like the three-dimensional objects. So I had this idea, what if for people who do music, music perception, and in general music perception, it's like orientation in some special space, which is almost like our orientation in three-dimensional space. And I had this other idea that evolution is generally very economical. The music is not actually uh, so, you know, incredibly important for our survival. What if music uses some parts of the brain which were designed and financed for something really important for survival. And I thought, what, what if it's all related to visual-spatial reasoning? And um, there are some interesting facts about musicians, that musicians process visual-spatial information differently than non-musicians. That uh, some uh, very highly trained musicians, they have greater volume of gray matter in parts of the brain which are important for visual-spatial processing. Um, so I decided to run a study, behavioral study, when I asked people to do tasks on visual-spatial congruency of three-dimensional objects and tasks on melodic congruency with couples of melodies. All melodies were from uh, compositions by Jürgen Sebastian Bach. And I found a very nice correlation and that it, at that point I proposed this hypothesis that in music perception, on certain level, for our brain, it's almost like spatial information. It's transcendence of modality. The modality is not, is not lost, but for our brain, it's become almost like objects. Or maybe it's even more interesting. What is on certain levels of our perception? There is no objects anymore. It's just understanding of configuration of elements. Everything what is around us, and we ourselves, it's just interaction of force fields, of various force fields. So our brain, it's this incredible analyzer, um, tra uh, processes this information. And then we see colors, forms, and this translation is beautiful, this world. But at the heart of everything which is around us and we ourselves, it's a force field, it's a dynamic field. We know there are just four forces. And um, so most likely 
our brain on the top is not interested in modality anymore because modality was already processed, but in the figuration on the level of gestalt. In this case, music, because it gives us uh, the uh, instance of macro uh, force field, like processing, macro processing in the force field, maybe it gives us can give us very interesting information about how we process visual world. And right now we're trying to find mathematicians who can formalize, um, give mathematical model to um, three-dimensional processing. We even know what kind of mathematics is needed. It's Hamiltonian math, quaternions, and uh, beyond the tectonians. Um, I think I already told you uh, why music is uh, available for everybody because of the simplicity of, uh, of processing. And I just want to give you some more um, information from behavioral studies. Uh, till recently, we knew that already two, four months old babies recognize consonances and dissonances. A very recent study showed that three-day-old have different brain activation for consonances and dissonances. Another interesting thing about music is how it affects us. It gives us pleasure. It activates the same biological reward center which is activated by food, sex, and drugs. And now we have music. Uh, this is why I have a suspicion that when people really love music and do music, at some point they access the same fields, the same levels which are accessed during psychedelic, psychotropic experience. Just in psychotropic experience, it happens as a shortcut, while in, uh, in serious musical training, in going into musical structures, in feeling all the details, uh, the same transcendence happens basically through very laborious processes. But it's very possible that music and psychotropic drugs they share something on the top. And uh, the previous um, uh, lecture, he mentioned uh, synesthesia. And now I want to tell about my other studies, which g gives me more um, ground to say that we all are gifted for music. So don't trust people who say, oh, it's too late, or no, I'm not. What some people say about, them, say about themselves, I am not gifted at all. This is not true. Everybody is gifted. Um, and my, my second um, large study was about, about tonal field of music. So this gravitational field that I mentioned, which is related to the cost of processing and our feeling that this is stable and unstable. And... Um, so I explored people's feelings about all possible distances in, in the space of music. And as I already told you, we have very few basic elements, and we have just 12 tonal distances. So all the richness of music is made just of 12 distances. So I explored how people 
react to those distances. It was not uh, exactly like what you feel about this distance. It was a little bit more uh, uh, sophisticated. But the final result was how people feel about moving in tonal field. And what I found with my study, that basically we are all um, kind of closeted synesthetes because I measured people's, people's responses with so-called semantic differential. It sounds very sophisticated. It's just bipolar adjective scales, like happy, sad, warm, cold, bright, dark. And people answered uh, about what they felt about distance by putting a mark. They had no idea what I was, what I was measuring. I would just ask them to put they, what they felt about the very end of each musical phrase. And what I found... When I, when I looked into data, and I was very pessimistic when I started this study, I thought that I would never extract any information. It was too much. But when I looked into the data, it was stunning. Uh, I had this large group of people at the University of Texas at Dallas, multi-ethnic, from everywhere, from Middle East, from uh, Asia, from uh, Eastern Europe, from South America, from everywhere, very motley ethnically group. And when I looked into this picture, it was like a textbook in harmony and music theory. People with no music education, they're very well in recognizing how music works. Moreover, the byproducts of this study was even more stunning. They recognized musical styles. It was a very sophisticated recognition. They recognized first Tini school, Mozart and Haydn, and they recognized romantics, so they differentiated them. They even recognized that Franz Schubert was a transitional figure. They had no idea what I played for them. They did, some of them perhaps did not even know those names of those composers. But my, my, um, what I want to say again, that music is a very generous art. It's available for everybody. Um, because of the simplicity of uh, of its of transfer of information, so I, now I want to go back to the beginning of my talk. Um, we have already this incredible device of coding who we are as humans, what we are made of, what our dreams, what our moods, what our feelings. It, it's very intimate information, and we um, resonate very easily with what music uh, talks to us. And, of course, the most uh, talented people have the ability to address the greater number of people. They have this ability to structure those levels of energy in such a way that large group of people receives the same emotional information. Um, why don't you ask me a, uh, questions? Because I, I, I gave you several directions, and if if you need some clarification, we can press it. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I'm talking about music, which is um, um, basically dominates world today. Uh, there are different there will, uh, have been different organization of tonal field. However, even in a place there is no 
music, there is no chords like Australia, Aboriginal world. They still recognize octave. We still have three-day-old babies that recognize dissonant and consonant. This is what music made of. This is my point. We are born uh, um, experts in music. It's already given to us. Moreover, for example, for our auditory system, when we are born, we need to see. For few, we need to see during our first months of life. It's not the case with music. The auditory system is basically ready at the end of second trimester before we are born. This is why we now know that we, we actually can do experiments with uh, pre-born. Uh, there was a very... Um, a smart study in, in Paris when they asked women, uh, pregnant women, to listen during the last month of pregnancy to the same melody every day. And then when their babies were one month old, they played different melodies, and only for this particular melody, the babies had certain changes in heartbeat, which was significant. Synesthesia, no. No, but what I want to tell you that judging from my study, we are all a closeted synesthetes because the data which I extracted with, with quasi-synesthetic scales like warm, cold, bright, dark, and others, it showed me information. It showed me the picture, the data. It was like a textbook in, in music theory. So when we listen to music, we, we react to tonal distances not only happy, sad, we also feel that warmer. For example, if it's a uh, great distance, we feel it colder and darker and, le and, and less happy. Uh, this is why it was so surprising for me. And synesthesia, it's uh, about one in thousand officially and eight times more frequent than women. But uh, this study, uh, this my study suggests that Perhaps there is different kind of synesthesia, or maybe music activates something very special, something really very interesting. Um, now let me talk about how we process it, how our brain processes it. Uh, most likely, the very yes, of course, the sound is processed in our cochlea. It begins there in uh, in our uh, uh, middle ear and uh, uh, cochlear nuclei, nuclei. But most interesting, in our middle brain, mesencephalon, uh, we have very interesting real estate, which is responsible for our feeling of thirst, for awakening, for uh, most immediate needs. And uh, according to a uh, great neuroscientist, Jak uh, Panksepp, this is a place where we have virtual self. In this virtual self, we have all the original information from inside and outside integrated first. So it's like like very first integration of all information of all uh, information from environment in, inside and outside. And I thought, what kind of information is coming? What is the what would be our very first reaction on on the to environment? Example: Imagine that you touched something living, what would happen? The living would become tense. And music is made of tension, this is dissonant, and relaxation, it's consonant. So when we listen to music, 
it, and it's made of consonants and dissonants because if it's all consonant, there is no mo- motion in music. We need dissonance because it gives feeling of motion. So when it's dissonant, we are tense. When it's consonant, we are relaxed. And I thought, most likely, this is where processing your music begins. This is why it's available for everybody. And then there are two interesting uh, 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 paths. The first path is to limbic system. It's our uh, uh, emotional brain. And the information becomes with high, high resolution going to cortical system. And another interesting thing, it's a... Um, it's most likely going to parietal lobe, which is involved in visual-spatial processing. This is why I talked about this story with melodies and three-dimensional objects, that when we listen to music, for us, we listen almost like objects in certain space. It's phenomenal space of tones organized as gravitational field, and it's also distribution of energy. Uh, from my experience, for example, during ayahuasca, I remember those uh, wild rhythms. And there was also something about, um, I realized that some of the music I listen, um, it has, it's almost like foggy sound. It's like you are uh, with, um, uh, psychotropic. But I'm, what, what I'm trying to touch is not just... Um, It's, it's more than just listening. Uh, there is a, a wonderful uh, researcher from Northwestern, uh, and she studies age compensatory mechanisms that m- music helps to develop. So, and so I want to tell every, everybody, this is kind of new information. The studies just started. You can start learning music at any age, but you need to practice, and it will create age compensatory mechanisms. But uh, so she told that um, you need to practice music to develop. It's like you cannot develop your muscles just watching TV. So in this respect, the psychedelics it gives you a shortcut. You take psychedelic, and you're already there. Uh, your, your subconscious it just it opens wide. You, you begin your trip with with high art. It happens just the, the path is more laborious, more difficult, but the experience is very strong. Uh, yeah, but you know what? From my uh, Ivaska experience, she was not interested in music at all. When I asked her, she was not interested at all. She answered two two questions, and I asked her. The first was, both were difficult. First, the nature of people, nature of people today. um, It was very hard, basically, reptiloid. This is hard. And the second, uh, um, it, it was her message that there should be no nuclear energy. Everything should be stopped. I asked her maybe for medical research. No. She was very direct. There should be no no uses of nu- nuclear energy. They should be stopped as soon as possible. Yes. Uh, okay. So they they run a study with uh, newly hatched chicks. Chicks. So chicks they they liked consonances better than dissonances. So the uh, the elements are uh, available. Uh, 
living uh, creatures. But we have, we have language, we have math, and we have music. And what was interesting, that those things, um, the certain parts of our brain, it's an parietal lobe, which is involved in that. It's abstract thinking. And it seems it's a, a species, uh, it's human specific. So math, language, and music. They are all artificial languages of communication. But music is the most primitive because when you think what is origin of it, uh, most likely, uh, uh, I, I'm basically sure. So long time ago, before we developed language, uh, uh, like today, for example, animals, they communicate through sounds. It's called first signaling system. If, if you're happy, if you have some desires, you produce certain sound. But then at certain point in evolution, the sound production bifurcated. On one side, it developed into language when we assigned certain sounds to certain objects and actions and qualities. And another tongue uh, uh, went to music, the relationship between sounds, tonal space. Um, I'm sorry, your question was about universals. Yeah, yeah. Music? I did not know how, uh, how the uh, auditory system is going to be formed. <laughs> Just for a starter. Yes. Neuronal system, yeah. Yes. Perhaps. I never thought about that. But, but, I, but I did think about... Um, uh, about um, planet, and uh, so th this is what I started with that this uh, mushroom trip, the image that it gave me uh, that the planet itself it's a living seed, and what is interesting when you think about the goal of evolution, um, first, I want to say about uh, what what is this goal of evolution was explained by de Chardin. French Jesuit, he calls it a mega point that evolution is directed toward greater, greater perfection and uh, union with God. And I, I, I suggest a little bit different, uh, and I suggest letter mu, which is in the middle of Greek alphabet. I suggest mu principle, that the evolution is directed toward creating more and more complex and efficient devices for accumulating and transfer of information. We have living information from RNA, then DNK, uh, uh, DNA, and then we have uh, with, with appearance of humans, now we have language, linguistic language, and we have greater and greater ability to encode greater and greater amount of information. What we have today uh, what um, is called as no-sphere, N-O-O, sphere, which is, means the sphere of knowledge, which basically creates for our planet, for this living seed, um, this chance to save what is already accumulated, living information and technology and whatever. And we're basically a vehicle for this goal, human beings. The uh, only problem is uh, we are too aggressive toward um, 
nature, we have to realize that we all just the same. We are part of the planet. Uh, the evolution, it, it's evolution of life, and we all are life. And so we have to feel that we all are basically like collective. We all are independent, but we all are collective. And this is our goal, to save the information, to save the life, so it would be delivered, it would survive. There, some sounds have amazing ability, just single sound, certain frequencies. Some rhythms have ama- amazing abilities. Uh, my presentation was about music on glo- global level, that they have melodies. Um, but I, I know I know cases when uh, just single sounds were, were healing, and I also have a, a friend who uh, who creates healing music, rhythmic music. He's he's just genius percussionist, uh, Nacho Arimani. Uh, yes, there are different uh, uh, aspects of sound that could be healing. Uh, for me, during ayahuasca, the presence of uh, these melodies, primeval melodies, it was like going into the, not only my childhood, it was almost like going to childhood of humanity. It was another way of, of reuniting with Mother Earth. Uh, okay, it, it, it's a very, it's a wonderful question. There's several directions. So first of all, artists, they live on self-expression. This is what's important. And then it all depends how rich is in the world. The richest in the world, the more demanding view for yourself, the greater is art. Uh, about innovations, I am for innovation. Um, but when it's innovation of ignoramuses, I am kind of, I am not very happy because, for example, Jürgen Sebastian Bach, his sons called him old wig because he knew old techniques so well. But when you start analyzing his compositions, there are so many things which he looked ahead so much, uh, in such a great distance. What happened that his incredible skills they completely liberated, liberated his spirit. He could say whatever he want because his technique was so spectacular. On the other hand, my favorite composer is Franz Schubert. And his music is very simple. It's very soulful. It sounds almost mundane, so simple. But at some point in his music, from time to time, something happens, and I call it window to God. Something happens, and you're just lost. You enter a different dimension. Everything is very simple, and he did not have any great education, but uh, I think it's a, it's a personality. You just ask yourself what you can give to the world. And what is also very important for artists, the greatest, they feel themselves as channels. They only channel for what's already around. Uh, they're creators, but yes, they're creators, but still the main role is to be a channel for something greater than they are. Thank you very much, Marina. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. I was pleased to hear Marina speak about synesthesia. 
but I have to admit that it kind of made me ashamed of myself. <laughs> See, years ago in an ayahuasca circle that I was involved in, there was this one guy who would go on and on about his synesthesia experiences during our ceremonies. Now, a few other people also mention it from time to time, but not to the degree that this guy did. Actually, I thought he was making it all up. <laughs> However, after listening to Marina just now, I realized that he was probably telling the truth, which also makes me very happy that I never expressed my doubts about it to him or to anyone else, but my face is red. And uh, naturally, I was happy to hear Marina include Teilhard's concept of a newosphere in her talk. As our old-timers here in the salon know, I published a book titled The Spirit of the Internet, Speculations on the Evolution of Global Consciousness. Now, the second chapter in that book is titled The Internet and the Newosphere. And since the entire book is now online in HTML format, I'll link to that chapter in today's program notes, which you can get to via psychedelicsalon.us. Another thought that Marina brought to my mind came when she was talking about the perception of being in a particular space that can be brought about by certain combinations of musical notes. Now, combine that thought with her speculation about the realms of music and of the psychedelic experience having much in common. Now, this may not actually have any bearing on these thoughts, but in 1999, when I wrote The Spirit of the Internet, I also wrote the following description of what I call entheospace. Entheospace, the realm of divine mind, is actually the sense of place that one has at times when an exploration of one's inner landscape leads to the realization that this is much more than just a fascinating landscape, it's an entire universe. At moments when this realization is so deeply interiorized as to be an essential part of one's being, one is said to be in entheospace. When the focus of one's consciousness is on entheospace, one experiences a deeply seated sense of being infused with and a part of divine mind. Now, if you go back and re-listen to last week's podcast with Bernardo Castro, you'll hear him also talk about how real, for lack of a better word, everything seems when you are under the influence of psychedelic substances. Again, we're trying to put words around experiences that border on the ineffable, but if you've ever been in entheospace, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, getting back to Marina's talk that we just listened to, since I'm not a musician myself, I didn't understand all of the technical details of what she was saying about ways in which certain combinations of sound affect the brain. But as a geek, it seemed to me that this information could be of great interest to sound engineers who shape the music once the artists have made the initial recording. But <laughs> then I'm talking here of things about which I know next to nothing, so <laughs> it'd probably be best to ignore what I just said now that I think about it. Something uh, that you may not want to ignore, however, at least if you live in Ireland, is that Patty Murphy is organizing the Irish Psychedelic Society. And if you're interested in learning more about that, you can uh, find a link to his announcement on the uh, program notes for today's podcast. And uh, on that announcement, you're also going to find a link to the Psychedelic Society in the UK. Also, I'd like to let you know about the newly redesigned website for the Women's Visionary Congress. I'll link to it in today's program notes, but it's easy to remember. It's simply visionarycongress.org. They have a lot of really interesting information and resources there, and the new website design is really beautiful. My, uh, my congratulations to whomever built it. 
And on the front page of that site, you can uh, learn about any upcoming events they have, which includes their annual Congress, and that's going to be held this coming June from the 19th through the 21st, and it's going to take place in Petaluma, California. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be careful out there, my friends.